Dear listeners, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and usually we're a live show every other Wednesday on Tacoma Radio, bringing you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. For the past week, I, like so many of you, dear listeners, have spent an inordinate amount of time online looking for clarity and answers to the resolution of the corona pandemic. Spoiler alert, there are none. And in general, trying to stay connected with friends and family while practicing social distancing. As our country scrambled to stop the spread of the virus, new rules went to effect at our beloved shoebox studio, restricting any live guests. So, in lieu of our regularly scheduled program, I took the opportunity to call a friend I hadn't spoke to in quite a while, Amanda Koreshi, a digital media strategist and a contributing fellow at the University of Southern California's Center for Religion and Civic Culture. Amanda is a uniquely talented expert whose work intersects internet culture and interfaith activism, and it was my lucky day that amidst all the chaos, she was able to jump on a call and chat about how things are going. I mean, really, it's been like a week or so. It feels like this has gone on for a month. Right, maybe. exactly. Right? Exactly. Like, and and every day is, is totally different. And yeah. the beginning of the day is different from the end of the day in terms yeah. of what the news is. And, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things I can tell you. One is that um, I am, have I told you about my, my program that I'm doing? Um, tell me about it. It's a, so it's a leadership program um, that I developed a few years ago around how to lead, how to be a leader online, Right. And the reason why, I mean, this came about right after the 2016 election because I was really concerned at what I saw with people having such awful conflict. And and the fact that the conflict wasn't just happening online, but it was carrying over offline and really affecting sort of the fabric of our country. And, um, And in some ways, you know, I'm not one of those people that says, you know, the internet is terrible. Obviously, I love it, right? <laughs> um, but it, what it has done is, is it, it showed us some things very, very close <laughs> that we were really good at ignoring for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's done so in this environment where it's like wide open, right? And there's very little in the form of, you know, social structure. I mean, these platforms don't have social norms. People just like run around and say and do whatever they want. And, you know, you've got all these different age groups and cultures and, you know, backgrounds all kind of mixing around in these big public forums and then trying to have really intense conversations about like the biggest things affecting our society. So it's kind of a weird space. And it also makes a lot of sense why it's not very productive. And so uh, I decided that I was going to develop a program that helps people understand the space, the online space, and understand... Just all of it. Well, like what it means to be online and what it means Uh to create spaces in this virtual environment. And like what it means, what the impacts that it has on us as humans to to do this work. And... um, how to build communities online, and then also how to 
facilitate productive conflict online. And mm. I'm very concerned about that because, you know, you know, I came up out of, you know, in the interfaith community. And one of my biggest frustrations with interfaith for a long time was that people were so focused on what we had in common, that there are these big glaring, you know, spots where we weren't discussing our differences. And those differences are very profound, right? And they play out in lots of different ways and they create conflict that we don't necessarily know how to navigate. Yep. And so, you know, conflict is not a bad thing. I know it gets a bad rap, but I think that productive conflict is, is actually healthy and important and we should foster that. Uh, but it's not something that people just know how to do naturally. It's a learned skill. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so it sounds like you've you've cultivated a a job description that's quite useful right now in this present moment. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Uh, so has your phone is has your phone been ringing off the hook then as people are trying to think about how to move these communities? It has. I feel a little vindicated because I've been beating the drum <laughs> for three or four years. You know every day online and people are you know whatever and now that everyone is now you know oh my god we have to do all this stuff virtually now now yeah. i'm getting calls and yeah. and makes me happy yeah. <laughs> because it's not going to go away that's the thing right right like the internet is here to stay and we're going to continue to need to utilize these spaces wisely it's interesting thinking about the quote-unquote interfaith movement also in that regard because i was talking with a friend the other day about how up until 2016 it kind of got to this place where people were saying yeah yeah, yeah that's really nice and everything you want to yeah. just sort of get together and so to your point talk about what we have in common like that that feels nice but that's not the work you know right and then there was just a a switch that got flipped in 202016 where now interfaith collaboration cooperation uh solidarity is is so integral to everything that everybody is doing with these social movements yep um that uh yeah it's been interesting to see how that it it's sort of it it takes unfortunately, a crisis moment, right, for, for these things to be exposed as, as really necessary. And particularly, you know, this uh, huge resource that we're all using every day, that we're all on, one way or the other, we're building community on it, or maybe, maybe not building community well is, yeah. is, is another issue. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and I, so in this program, there we go through three different steps because each one is incrementally, you know, built on the other. So the first step is about self-mastery. And I don't think that we give enough attention to that, right? People think that just because they're sitting at home on the couch in their pajamas with their laptop, that they're in this safe space or that, you know, that they're, I mean, that's the lens that they're using when they go online. And so one of the things that we try to help people understand is that when you go online and when you go into a virtual space, you know, like Twitter on the internet, you're, you're no longer in, you know, this safe little bubble. You're, you're in a very big public space, like Times Square big, right? Like <laughs> very crazy space. And, 
those, you know, there are implications for doing that. And some of them are safety, you know, your own safety and your own privacy. Some of it is emotional, right? And, and spiritual. There are implications for being exposed constantly to a barrage of ideas and opinions and, um, and other people's emotions. We're, we're very, we're empathetic creatures, right? Right. So managing that piece is essential because if you don't do that, then you can't do the next step, which is actually build healthy community and lead it. And leadership demands that we're in control of ourselves and that we understand our own responses so that we can model good behaviors. Yeah. And yeah. then once you have a community where you've actually established norms and people are fully aware of you know, the parameters of the community, then you can begin to facilitate productive disagreement. But what we're doing is we're trying to skip all of that and just go straight to disagreement, to productive disagreement. And, and it's kind of hilarious when you think about how futile that is, right? Like, why would we think that that would work? So what, what have you been seeing then in the last week or, or two weeks as these things have been ramping up? Have you been following how folks have been um, either, I guess it's both things. It's building community and uh, improving on the communities that they already have. Yeah. I mean, I think that what we're seeing, like what I've seen, and I will say that this is sort of a, we're still in a very early phase, right? People are just starting to self um, uh, socially isolate themselves and they're turning to the internet they're turning to social media as sort of their outlet and you know everybody has their own um cadence their own way of needing to be social so you know some people are extremely outgoing and want to be talking to people all day and some people don't need it as much so it's really hard to put a gauge on it and say this is what's happening within the last 10 days but what i am saying is that engagement is a way up online lots of people are posting a lot more and people are really asserting themselves in trying to make the space the spaces where they're engaging beneficial healthy um informative kind right and that's mm -hmm. amazing that's best case scenario my concern obviously is that as this goes on you know we haven't really seen the full uh, extent of the damages that are that, that are going to you know come about because of because of the pandemic and so I am concerned about that I'm concerned that people are going to you know after you know a month of being indoors and being online all day start to get very um, frustrated and, and it's going to come out online I'm also concerned because we know already that there's active disinformation campaigns yeah. that have been you know exercised in our in American society, uh, both from within and from outside, and that those are going to ramp up, right? As uh, and we're going to see some shenanigans, and so that's that's like my concern. We started out the gate. I think we started out really well, and I'm seeing you know faith leaders do amazing things with, you know, I, I watched this morning as a local rabbi did their morning prayers right on Facebook Live. It was fantastic from his office. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, you see Muslim. Uh, communities that are putting out, you know, uh, 
guidelines for how to um, pray at home and or convene meetings online. Everyone is starting to use these technologies to do things. Uh, I joined a group by a rabbi in LA who is a lovely person and who right after 2016 was doing weekly check-ins with folks, um, meditation and prayer check-ins. And so she started that up again uh, this week. Mm. So I'm seeing some good positive things happen. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. and, and that warms my heart. But also, I think that we need to be, we still need to be cautious because we don't have a handle on what's happening online all the time. And everything that has led up to this moment. That's the understatement of the century. <laughs> we don't have a handle on what's happening online all the time. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, like this has been very jarring because we just came from months of this super contentious, like, political ickiness, right, where people were just doing battle online, and even on the same, you know, side politically, people have been tearing at each other, and now suddenly, we've, like, shifted gears, and everyone's trying to do this, you know, cooperative thing, and... Is that election thing still happening? Right? (laughs) I mean, I tell you, I, I, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Like, I can't keep up. Right. Uh, Emotionally, I can't keep up. Okay, so so then for you yourself, what what are those spaces that you found that are that have been most helpful and keeping you spiritually uplifted? Yeah, well, I have my own little communities that I've built. Um, you know, uh, basically as sort of the center of a very you know interesting Venn diagram. I have lots of random and interesting people from different walks of life. Some are in the nonprofit world, some are in the interfaith world, some are, you know, media people, and all kind of mixing around in this kind of little community that I've built. And so that's, that's my primary space. And I teach this course online, uh, which we're on the last week of the third cohort. Um, it's a six-week online program. So we just finished we're just finishing that up now and that's actually been amazing Mm. right so this week the whole week has been like before i even knew anything was going to happen we dedicated week six to um talking about information integrity and disinformation like how do we spot good information and bad information and how do we engage with the media and how are we defining the media now all of those are very relevant and really important questions and it's been for me, uh, you know, kind of a, a blessing to have the opportunity to do something constructive in this moment and work with this group of people and like address these concerns because these people that I'm working with are all leaders themselves. Some are religious leaders, some are community leaders. And so giving them tools to go out and do good work online has been, you know, it's been great. Yeah. What, what do you think are, are some of those, those specific, um, pieces of advice or, or things that they've been sharing around that, that, that have been helpful in these last couple of days? Well, I will say that one of our conversations yesterday was around how we manage our own intake of information. Hmm. You know, this is a, this is not a new subject. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while now um, in digital media 
that we aren't necessarily evolved as, as people to, <laughs> to be drinking from a fire hose of information that, that we, like we are doing, <laughs> right? Like our, our right. poor prefrontal cortices are like just blasted constantly. And one of the implications of that is that we are not retaining as much. And when our prefrontal cortex is constantly being, you know, engaged, then we're not really uh, assimilating and, and using what we're taking in creatively. And so finding this balance between, you know, how do we, how do we find sources of good information and then regulate what we're taking in and then find ways to, to create space to be sort of detached a little bit, a little bored, right? Like boredom is actually a healthy thing and it allows us to process and it allows us to think creatively about new learning. And, you know, in our day and age where you're expected to be plugged in all the time, that is a very big challenge. But I think almost every spiritual tradition has this idea of, um, of detachment Right. Or, right. or stepping away, whether it's wandering in the wilderness, you know, or going into sit in a cave or, you know, sitting under a tree or whatever it is that these great leaders have ever done. It's been about going and, and getting away from all the noise and, and opening yourself up and really being uh, open to the answers. Right. And whether you think those answers are coming from higher power or from your subconscious, it's still the same process. And so we really have to um, make space for that. And we have to do it aggressively in this day and age, because yeah. honestly, if you allow it to, um, you know, this constant connection can take over everything. And it yeah. can drown out what's really important. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm one of those people that has been making a conscious, conscious effort to distance or limit the amount of of access that i have to to that information so you know i don't plug my phone in right next to my bed intentionally so that i have to walk across the apartment in order to to get to it first thing in the morning um and and yet these last couple of days you know i've definitely been conscious of the fact that things are changing so quickly that I, I can't trust that what I went to bed knowing is going to be the same when I wake up in the morning. Yeah. And it's been somewhat disruptive to my usual flow of doing things, which is typically I get up in the morning. Um, I have a prayer and meditation that I do and, and I write and then I'll engage with whatever's going on with work or my phone or whatever. But at least there's been, you know, a half an hour, an hour, um, sometimes even two hours before I've, I've really started to look at the phone or listen to the news or podcast or whatever the right. case is. Um, and then, and then as soon as all this stuff hit, like all the, <laughs> really out the window um but 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 i'll say that you know for me personally really one of the things that that's been i think an interesting shield or like a suit of armor for it is this is the period of the baha'i fast um so 
similar to Ramadan, you know, we're, we're not eating from sunrise to sunset. Our mind is on, on, on the one hand, we're, we're, we're so raw, right? We're so naked in front of our emotions and everything, or our emotions are, are, are just so close because we don't have that sustenance. But on the other hand, when we complement that with prayer and meditation, personally, I've found that you actually feel spiritually stronger, right? Like that's the whole point. And, and my wife and I have been commenting back and forth that, you know, it's, it's odd timing that this all would be happening during this period because there is uh, a firmness and a strength, you know, that I think each of us find from, from being in the fast. And personally, I've been, I've been trying to be deeper with my own meditation practice, taking something that I've always struggled with since I've bothered to do it, um, something where I've, I've, I've struggled to, to even concentrate and be in a meditation for, for five minutes at a time. And I've, I've started extending that out to like 20 or 30 minutes. Wow. And, and, and um, actually right before the fast started, I, I met with a, um, I was in a, in a, a group with a, um, with a, a, a Hindu monk um, who was teaching us about mantra. And so I incorporated that into my meditation practice of using this vocalization, this deep resonant vocalization during, during the, the, um, the meditation, just chanting this mantra over and over again, over and over again, which is something that's part of the Baha'i um, tradition anyway. We're supposed to be saying this phrase, Alawapa, every, uh, every day, 99 times, right? So, so I've used that as my meditation and really focused on the breath and taking that into like a really deep um, place into the diaphragm, as I've been saying it, and just with each breath, like extending it out as long as I possibly can. And if you say that, that mantra at that speed, 99 times it actually takes quite a while I can but, imagine. <laughs> but but it's been really powerful because i step out of that moment with with total clarity you know with just this feeling of refreshment that that you know i've been doing it first thing in the morning and i found that it's super powerful you yeah. know to 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 then step into okay what are we going to find now as our next thing yeah yeah as a Muslim, are there, are there certain aspects of your tradition or your spiritual practice that you've incorporated into this work? So I would say, you know, I've, I don't know how to to say no. (laughs) That's where the Venn diagram is, is not fully engaged. (laughs) Right. Let me, let me just say, and this is, you know, this is a sort of a personal aside. I've struggled a lot lately with my own faith. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what place it has for me, uh, in my life. I think, um, you know, I, I think there's value in all these traditions and certainly in Islam, right? I lived as a Muslim for 20 years and, uh, you know, Islam has taught me a lot about 
these kinds of things. Ramadan is coming up, right? right. Fasting is really hard. Um, and it's a discipline and it's something that you do over a long period of time and it gives you uh, a challenge and it's, you know, it's easy to fail. <laughs> uh, and so it's, it's one of those, it's, I liken it to long distance running. It's not, <clears throat> it's not easy, but the rewards are great, right? Uh, physically and spiritually. Right. Uh, but other things about Islam, <clears throat> so for example, this idea, you know, Muslims who pray five times a day, this idea that <clears throat> your faith isn't something that's um, like what we like to do in the West, which is, you know, put it uh, in a very designated spot. It's all day, every day. This mm -hmm. constant, you know, reminder where you stop what you're doing and you engage with it purposefully because you want to be reminded at all times that this is how how you worship this is you know this is who you are um either you know your identity and also you want to have that connection with the divine right and keep that that strong at all times so this idea of you know you know we're really bad in in our culture about compartmentalizing things and you know church on sunday or you know everything has its its little space uh, and i think what islam has taught me and sort of translated over into you know my work with with this in you know helping people be digital leaders is that we are um there's no it, there's no in you know there's no uh, separation there virtual space is is a is a space it's a it's an actual uh thing that we're you know that we're engaging in it's not just some kind of hypothetical thing um and it has implications right in in mm. every part of our lives all of these choices you know another thing about islam is that um the decisions words have meaning you know words have power uh our, our choices in every little thing that we do you know very devout muslims are extremely conscious all the time about every little thing they do in their lives right. uh you know how they wash and how they walk and when you walk into a house and when you you know start your car there are little prayers that you say so this idea that you are you know it's all it's all together it's not just something that you do in addition to it's all a seamless part of your life i think we would do well in our society to remember that all of our activities are interrelated. All of our activities have a bearing on, um, on one another. And we can't do certain things without it having an impact in other parts of our lives. Right. And whether it's something as simple as, you know, checking our phone first thing in the morning, I will tell you, if I, if I pick up my phone first thing in the morning, which I have been, right, it mm -hmm. sets the day a certain oh, way. Oh, totally. I totally agree with that. If, yeah. if that is the first thing, it, it, it almost guarantees that things are going to go poorly. <laughs> right, right, right. Whereas like you, I tend to get up, I'll, uh, I'll meditate, pray first thing early, early in the morning. I right. love to get up early. I'll write by hand in a journal. I'll, um, you know, I'll read. Um, and then once I've done all of that stuff, then yeah. I'll start with my digital stuff. 
No, it has to be. It, yeah, it, ha- it, it, it has to be in that order because we're coming out of this very vulnerable space of, right, right. of being asleep. And, you know, where our, our subconscious is working through processing everything that we've experienced the previous day. And, and for that to be the first interaction that we have with the world is, you know, oftentimes yelling and, 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 you know, quite vulgar and everything. Right. I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's just, it's, it's a, it'll make us, you know, sick. Right. Yes. Agreed. Hmm. So, so it's interesting to hear from you. So you're, you're in this place of, of struggle, it sounds like with what you're, what your relationship is with your faith yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, and, and it, I mean, you're, you're a convert to, to Islam. Right. One thing that I recognize about myself is that, is that, um, you know, I grew up in a, in a Jewish family. Mm-hmm. The, the type of Jew that I was when I was bar mitzvah was not the same as the one that I was in college. And then when I came to learn about the Baha'i faith, I, that was also in college. And then, you know, five, 10 years later, I, I, I was not the same Baha'i. I'm not the same Baha'i that I am, you know, that I was like, or or that I am now 15 plus years down the road. So, you know, we change, we evolve, our understanding changes. So I'm, I'm curious just for you, like, is, is it a, is it a philosophical shift or do you just feel like, you know, you're going through sort of the, the hills and valleys that we all do in our, in our spiritual evolution? Yeah, I, I'm, so I think, I don't know if we've had this conversation before, but I had, you know, a lot of trauma around religion growing up. Mm. Uh, I was raised in, as a Jehovah's witness and, uh, strong end times theology, mm. uh, a lot of, a lot of um, repression, a lot of patriarchy, a lot of homophobia, a lot of things that, you know, are anathema to me now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I left that and it took me, it, it's taken me a long time to work through it, but I still have a lot of that. And when I see those same things perpetuated within Islam, and to be frank, I mean, they exist there, right? Sure. And in, in, I would say in some cases in, in the majority, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, you know, there are things that I personally absolutely disagree with. And I'm okay with that, right? I'm okay with sort of finding my own little space as a Muslim. The really hard part is the communal aspect, right? Because as you know, uh, people, especially here in the United States, if you belong to a religious minority, there tends to be a lot of gatekeeping around who gets to identify, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and I, I see this play out in the Jewish community too, right? I see this play out in a lot of ways, and it's understandable. We have this, we have these small religious minorities where, you know, 
a great deal of the people who belong are immigrants uh, or children of immigrants. There's an entire racial and um, cultural component there. Uh, anything that seems to be sort of infringing on that from the hegemony is <laughs> either flat out rejected or resented. Mm -hmm. And so as a white person converted, coming in with beliefs that are in some cases profoundly different and, and antithetical to what a lot of other people believe, uh, it's, it's not an easy place to find a home, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very, um, it's not nurturing for me. Um, except in a few spaces or with individuals. But to be part of a larger community is incredibly challenging uh, for me. And, and so- you're, And you're talking about like being a card-carrying member of a particular mosque community. is well, like a physical space that, yeah, you, that you would have membership with. Yeah, I mean, mosques aren't, you know, Muslim community isn't set up like Christian community where they have yeah. know, belonging to specific- but sure to be known as and to be active as and to be publicly recognized as Muslim, you are part of a community, the community. And yep. we refer to it as the Muslim community. There is a national Muslim community. There are local Muslim community uh, communities. But, you know, it's... It's... To be, and an, this is a really hard thing to talk about because it doesn't, it, it, it's a struggle, right? Is to, to be a minority within a minority mm -hmm. and still a representative of this very large and sort of oppressive cultural <laughs> identity. It's a really fine line that you have to walk. And look, I, I get that. I'm not a martyr about that. Like that's a choice that I made and it's also a choice that I continue to make. But at the end of the day, I have to recognize that as a spiritual person, I need to be able to be part of community where I feel nurtured and accepted, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it's, that does not happen for me many times. And I would even say most times mm -hmm. in Muslim community. Mm -hmm. And so, that's the way so, it is, right? So it's, I, I guess the part that I was trying to figure out is, you know, when you, if you, you're in a particular place, you're there in Austin, yeah. you know, whatever Muslim communities there might be there in, in Austin, you know, they, they are, they're institutions, right? And, and they have boards and they have committees yeah. And, yeah. and different activities. And, and so one could choose if they were inclined to go to one based on, you know, geography, this one's closest to my house, whatever the case is, or preference because these folks you know, get me in a way that the other community down the road right. doesn't, right? There's sort of a, that, you know, that type of membership is a way to do it. But if you're, what I'm, what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, those spaces can be, can be difficult generally. Um, so I'm curious, I'm, I'm wondering if, if, is, is that part of the reason why you're really motivated to to cultivate these online spaces, right? Because because you can be more selective or be more creative, right? Have more creative power in in choosing who's who's in that space. Yeah, I think that for many many for most of human history, actually, we have been bound by time and space, right? Mm -hmm. And what being online has allowed us to do is bend those rules. 
And I will say, as someone who grew up in a very closed environment, um, physically closed and spiritually closed and, you know, and intellectually closed, that when I grew up and finally discovered that I had access via the internet to all of this amazing wealth of humanity, uh, it was a revelation. Like, it was fantastic. I was so excited. Um, and I'm still excited about that. I love the diversity of the people that I get to encounter online. And yeah, I absolutely think that we can redefine what it means to be in community. And I see that happening with Muslims, actually, because I'm not the only Muslim that has this feeling. Um, I'm not the only Muslim that, you know, cherishes and affirms GLBTQ people. I'm not the only Muslim that cherishes and affirms my, my Jewish friends, right? Like I have a lot of people that I've met online who we are all kind of on the same page with that. So, you know, yes, absolutely. I do a lot of my work online because of that very thing. Um, that said, it isn't easy to navigate like offline space, um, but I have found a, <clears throat> a third space um, it's, it, we call it a third space. Um, and it, it basically is a Muslim community that is welcoming and affirming to everybody, mm. right? And these are very rare and very lucky to have a place like that in Austin. And, uh, and so I've, you know, I've made use of that. But it's, you know, I mean, you know this probably better than anyone. Spirituality is not a linear thing mm -hmm. right our spiritual growth is very windy and i'm in a space right now where i've i'm working through some of my resentments and negativity yeah. and and i think that that's okay and i'm trying to limit the damage that i do to other people i don't want to just be one of those people that's just like you know angry all the time about these things i understand people have different beliefs. I understand that people are coming from different places. And even when I feel, truly feel that they're wrong, I think that there's space for that as well. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm trying to be res a, a responsible spiritual adult by, um, by making a little space for myself. You know what I mean? Well, it's interesting what you said before about it was a choice that you made and it's a choice that you continue to make. You know, mm -hmm. I think that's an important part of it is that we wake up every day and we make a choice, you know, and part of that choice is about the labels that we identify with. Part of the choice is the behaviors and practices that we're, that we're um, carrying out, right? Um, I think what you said before about fasting being difficult and, and you're likely to fail, I, you know, I would argue you're guaranteed to fail like that. <laughs> and that's and that's part of it too is going into this knowing that we're not going to be perfect right like the 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 purifying effect of a ramadan or or of the bahai month of fasting is just that you know of of yom kippur is this is this period of atonement is this period of of saying i didn't get it right the previous year I'm trying better. And whether it's one day, you know, uh, uh, sunset to sunset, 
or if it's 19 days sunrise to sunset, or if it's 30 days sunrise to sunset, it's it you're you're saying during this time, you know, I'm 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 trying to, you know, reset during during that period. And depending on where you are in life, you know, you may you may still screw it up <laughs> or, or or like i said you're you're definitely going to screw it up during during that time also yep. you know but every day is a new chance to start again yeah and and we just keep on you know coming coming back and i mean i guess some people choose not to but even even that is is part of the process right because right. we've made a conscious choice as opposed to being in a in a space where that freedom has been taken away from us that's right Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're wrestling like Yahoob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, indeed I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wrestling with our, with our angels, our, yeah. our better yeah. and our, our, our lesser angels, I guess. <laughs> they're, they're not What's the, so interesting is that, you know, through all of it, it's been a, I've had a rough year. Mm. Right, going through all of this. Um, some of it has been deeply existential. Some of it has just been, you know, very practical. Like, how do I want to engage with community while I'm feeling this way? Um, but my, you know, like you, you read, and I, I try to take in as much wisdom as I can from different faiths as well. Um, and And the people that have, grappled, whether they're well-known, whether they're, you know, prophetic figures or just people who have written about their experiences or, um, you know, or, or older and wise people that you meet who are part of these traditions give you the same story. And, and that is what we just discussed, which is that this is a process and it is a very difficult and messy process. Mm. And all of the gatekeeping and all of the um, litmus testing and all of the whatever it is that that makes people feel secure in their identity here and now is not it, right? That is not the work that I need to be doing. And and knowing that has has given me the freedom to to sort of dissolve into this process, this incredibly painful process, without fear. And I think that that's the most important part, right? Is, is you know, I, I think fear keeps us from doing what we need to do, what we know we have to do. And the last thing I want to do is hold back from that. I, I do see value in this process. And I, I have no idea what it means half the time or where I'm going with it. Um, <laughs> but I do know that it's impacting me, that it's making me a better person that it's causing me to ask questions that should be asked by anyone with a mature spirituality. And, and I'm okay with, I'm good with that. And, mm. and, and in some ways it's incredibly lonely, but you know what? Wandering in the wilderness for 40 days is lonely and going and sitting <laughs> in a cave in the mountain is kind of lonely and sitting under a tree, uh, you know, until you gain enlightenment can be lonely too. And sitting in our homes. That's right. It is. <laughs> Very lonely, and I'm sure a lot of people are experiencing that right now. Yeah, 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 definitely. I'm I'm curious, you know, for folks that are already engaged in a dynamic, vibrant community life, 
particularly with institutions that have the capacity to move their services online, to yeah. move prayer groups to online spaces and everything. I would guess that most folks are making adjustments, but they have that community in place. For, for yourself who works so much and, and is in discussion with people so much about these, about these topics, um, I, I wonder what sort of advice you would have for somebody who is likewise like you, you know, going through these, these type of spiritual struggles and may not feel so quickly at hand, um, you know, a close spiritual community, like what, what, what would you advise them to do to, to take care of themselves? I'm not sure I have advice. Uh, I can tell you what I've done, sure. uh, which is working. One of the things about Islam is that it, it really is about surrender. It's about submission. Mm. So um, giving myself over to that process. You know, I think the, the, the resistance that we have when we start to encounter things that are difficult or painful um, makes it worse. This is also very, you know, I've, I've read a lot of Buddhist literature that talks about, you know, meeting your discomfort where it is and fully experiencing it. Um, and I think that that's absolutely right. I think we are, we as humans and also our, you know, the society that we live in is so dedicated to trying to avoid pain and discomfort, so dedicated to trying to avoid uh, the truly difficult work that we should be doing as humans, that um, simply allowing yourself to feel shitty, right? Can I say that? S simply allowing yourself to feel bad is kind of a revolutionary thing, right? Like just being in the moment of saying, I don't know, and I don't understand, and I'm having this crisis, and I feel alone. I mean, those are incredibly incredibly difficult things to sit with. To do that, first and foremost, is an act of courage. Then I think, you know, I think the next thing that we try to do is we try to intellectualize everything. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I always, you know, and this is at least my default where I'm like, well, I'll just look for something else to read or something else to, you right. know, some lecture that's yep. going to lift me up. Yep. Make and, a plan. And, yeah, make a plan, exactly. And I think that um, allowing things to unfold naturally is one aspect. The other is to, to be creative in that space, which is incredibly challenging. Yeah. But once you start that process, you know, it is very fruitful. Like I spent a lot of time in the last year just writing and my writing was garbage. It was just garbage. But what that did is it helped me start, it kind of, started working this muscle of creativity that sort right. of laid out in every other aspect of my life right. and, and helped me. And then the third thing is uh, I looked for people that I trusted. And by trusted, I mean not people that would tell me what I wanted to hear, but people that I knew had my best interest at heart. Mm. And, um, and I was as vulnerable as I could be with them. Mm. And they uh, have been um, like... <laughs> I mean, they have been amazing for me, right? Yeah. And, and especially if you have any kind of public persona or you spend a lot of time in public life, those things are essential. They're not things that most people, these three things, that they're not things that people will understand or even appreciate. And, and people will even try to shame you, right, for um, 
for not trying to get yourself, you know, dig yourself out and, you know, pull up, your, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and think positively, don't wallow, that kind of thing. Um, but I do truly believe that there is a natural rhythm to our evolution, personally. And I think that trying to force change and trying to force um, conclusions is is only a, a recipe for disaster. And so allowing yourself to write it out, which is the hardest thing. It's so hard because when you're down in it, you feel like, I mean, I've had such holy envy of people in their certainty, wishing that I could have that same almost arrogance of knowing, right? Mm-hmm. Which I don't. And, 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 and that's okay, right? Like it, it is actually okay, but it's really hard to accept that. And, and once you do that, then, then I think the process becomes somewhat easier. It's never going to be easy, but <laughs> somewhat easier. <laughs> I think anybody that thinks that they know or <laughs> has some feeling like they've got a handle on it is not being honest with themselves in this right. moment because right. <laughs> it doesn't seem like anybody's got any idea right, right now. And we're all just, we are, you know, living moment to moment. You know, we are, we have to be very Zen about the whole thing because yeah. we, just, we just really have been, we've been brought down a peg. You know, we yeah. really need to recognize our own, our own mortality, our own, vulnerability and uh our our lack of knowledge really and just you know like you're saying just sort of submit submit to what i don't know but in you know to 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 just to just being here and and doing like you're saying do you know just taking care of our ourselves and i guess to a certain extent right to to being of of service to other people when we see the opportunities for that yeah that's a yeah part of the process And when you do that, I mean, there's this, I don't even know how to explain this, but there's a, you know, we're always, everybody's trying to reach this goal of like happiness and fulfillment, but there's this other thing that you can experience or that I have experienced throughout this process. And it's the most beautiful sense of, it's not, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like a melancholy. It's just a, a being, right? And a knowledge that I have these limitations and that the people around me have limitations and that none of us will ever know and that life is truly short and fleeting. And that to me is, it's almost like, uh, I don't even know, there are, I mean, I'm sure there are other like nature-based traditions that, mm that have this similar kind of understanding. It's like the cherry blossom, right? Like it's so profoundly delicate and beautiful and it lasts for such a short period of time. Yeah, and that's what we're, we're seeing here in DC is these cherry blossoms. Right? <laughs> they're, they're here, they're very beautiful. And, and you can already see them sort of fading away, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. Right at this and, time. And, and that is poetic and beautiful and lovely. And to deny ourselves that is, uh, you know, in, in lieu of this, sort of false sense of empowerment or uh, sense of rightness is um, it's very sad actually and I don't want that 
to to accept the impermanence of things. Yeah, to to so you know, I mean, and I say this as someone who has who has consumed an enormous amount of self help literature. <laughs> that there is a lot out there that, <laughs> that is based on like reaching for this thing and like achieving this sense uh-huh. of you know accomplishment and fulfillment and success and happiness and health and all these positive things that we're supposed to be reaching for and and that isn't i mean it can be but it's not a true reflection of the human experience right mm-hmm. and when we fully embrace the impermanence of things and when we fully embrace not knowing and the discomfort and the 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 sadness along with the joy and all these lovely things that um, that are part of authentic human experience, then I think that's that's what it means to truly be alive, and that's that is what I what I want. As as uncomfortable as it can be, sometimes that's the goal, and I'm willing to go through those periods of discomfort, true discomfort, and and you know agony sometimes in order to fully experience what it means to be alive, as opposed to and I, I know this, right? And this is not a criticism of anyone else but myself. I've done this where it's just been this uh, daily affirmations and, you know, pumping yourself up and you know, mental game, stay positive. It's not, it's not reality. It's not truth. And, and I, I'm here for a very short period of time and I, I really want as much truth as I can get while I'm here. <laughs> You're a wise teacher, Sheikha Amanda. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, this is, this is really great. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Yeah, my and, pleasure. And, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know. We're experimenting with things. Everything's an experiment now. So we're, we're giving us this, this a whirl with um, having... having uh, this show happen, you know, via Zoom or Skype or whatever, whatever is going to happen from now. But I appreciate you helping facilitate that also. Sure. My, my pleasure. Can you, can you share just what the, um, the information is about the group and your, and your leadership program? So oh, that sure. folks can learn about that? Yeah, yeah. So my, uh, my program is currently housed at the Center for Religion and Civic Culture at USC. The program is called the Institute for Digital Civic Culture. Uh, if you go to the website crcc.usc.edu, um, there's a tab for digital, and that's where you'll find out about my program. Cool. And that's University of Southern California, right? Yes. Not uh-huh. South Carolina. Yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, this is beautiful. I, um, I look forward to to keeping in touch and staying in closer touch now. Yeah, like more than once a decade, we should talk. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> and and the I hope problem with being online, right, is that people are just there in the periphery, so you feel like you haven't lost touch with them, but you have. Well, that's why it's feel it's felt weird that we haven't talked in four years because I I'm like, I, I see what you're doing on Facebook. I've, I've seen your <laughs> posts. <laughs> Your musings. <laughs> I promise not everything goes on Facebook, contrary to what my family <laughs> Well, I hope uh, I hope you and your kids don't drive each other nuts uh, over these next couple of weeks as you're 
we are going to do our best not to. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you too. And um, if I don't talk to you before then, Ramadan Mubarak. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy. How how far are you into your fast? Um, Ours ends on the first day of spring, uh, March 20th. So we're just at the end of this week. Okay. And we're um, almost there. We're almost there. And and we uh, have had our, our Nauru celebration in D.C. canceled. <laughs> and so it's moving online, but we'll, we'll figure out, you know, how to, how to celebrate spring. Yeah. Lots of, lots of walks outside. Yeah. That's a good yeah. way to celebrate. Maybe that's spring. not so bad. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the birds are chirping. I mean, it's true. You can hear the birds more. So that's been an interesting, <laughs> an interesting result of this whole thing. You notice. You notice more. Yeah. So is it Nauru's Mubarak? Sure. Reading. I mean, whatever. <laughs> like there isn't there isn't a <laughs> no litmus testing here. There is yeah, there really isn't. You know, it's funny. I, this is why this is why I don't I've never really taken Baha'i holidays seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm bad at holidays anyway, but it's just like, all right, whatever you want to say with the thing. There's no ritual attached, right? There's no there's no thing that you have to do. I mean, you know, you fast for the fast, and everything else is just pretty much a party, you yeah. know. And yeah. and so, I mean, I guess the ones that are like around martyrdoms and stuff, that's not a party, but it's a. Com- <laughs> <laughs> Okay, good. <laughs> That's right, right. The, the, there are commemorations and there are celebrations and, yes, and, yes. and the details are left up to you. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, Ramadan Mubarak, Nauru's Mubarak, all of that stuff is acceptable. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. All right, great to talk to you. Likewise, say hi to your fam. Dear listeners, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. I want to again thank my guest Amanda Qureshi of the University of Southern California's Center for Religion and Civic Culture. This was really one of my favorite conversations. And fitting too, dear listeners, because this week marks the two-year anniversary of Interfaith-ish. Happy birthday to us. We continue to strive to open the circle ever wider with our guests and topics, and this week marks a foray into a totally new format as we consider what our show will look like and sound like in the era of the corona pandemic. Every time we feel like we're settled into an idea, there's an opportunity to push further, and I'm excited for the future. And speaking of exciting, I'm thrilled to welcome the newest interfaith astronaut, Baby Forrest. Congrats to our collaborator Miranda and her husband Scott, and thanks for making sure your boy shares our show's birthday week. I expect him to report for duty next episode to learn how to run the boards here at Tacoma Radio. As always, I want to give a big shout as well to our other interfaith astronaut, Sue Katz Miller, and our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher. And thank you, dear listeners, for spending your hour with us. While you're in self-quarantine, you can find our entire back catalog wherever you find quality podcasts. We're also on social media at Interfaith-ish. And keep writing us about the Interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H 
at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail on our special listener line, 202-599-2953. And right behind this episode, you'll find a special mini-episode with inspiring stories from friends around the country reflecting on how they're keeping their spirits up and connecting with community online and IRL during the pandemic. More to come on that subject. Interfaith-ish will be back in two weeks. In what form, I'm not quite sure. But until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at TacomaRadio.org. And hey, it's Nauru's! Happy Nauru's! Happy Spring! Do you have to go to ATV? Can you go to like a corner store? Let's go to the gas station. Okay. Go in and out and wash your hands. <laughs> no, I mean, I've got an eight-year-old. It's the same conversation. She's not going to the corner store by herself, but she... <laughs> uh, sorry. Has, has it been easy for them? Have they, uh, no. like, no. no? They're very independent, you know, they and they, yeah. they're at the age where they drive and they're social and when you said ATV I thought you said <laughs> your kid wanted to take an ATV out for no, a ride. <laughs> no, no. no ATB ATB is the name of our grocery store oh, oh, oh ATB okay. <laughs> <laughs> mom I'm going out for a ride this is boring <laughs> well, no that would not I would not have a problem with that <laughs> yeah yeah, maybe all the, you know, you're, you're dressed head to toe in protective gear and everything. That's probably the only thing that you should be wearing outside right now. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, what was the question? I'm sorry.